And the hijacking of the place, plane is also a deliberate and unnecessary triggering of a safety emergency. It is, it is, it has involved an unjustified intervention of a military aircraft. The air navigation service was misused to aid the state in taking control of an EU aircraft. And Belarus used its control over its airspace in order to perpetrate a state hijacking. Therefore, the safety and security of flights through Belarus airspace can no longer be trusted, and the Council will adapt measures to ban overflies of the EU airspace and deny access to airports, to EU airports, to Belarus airplanes. Roman Pratasevich must be released immediately. That was European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen on actions against Belarus. Hi everyone and welcome to another edition of Backstory, I'm Dana Lewis. An election in Belarus which neighbors Russia took place in August of 2020 with falsified results. People took to the streets to protest. Since then, President Alexander Lukashenko has arrested tens of thousands. His security forces have systematically beaten many detained forced opposition leaders to flee the country or be jailed, journalists, lawyers sentenced to prison terms. And a number of people have died in custody, at least 10, say, human rights groups. Belarusian President Lukashenko has the audacity to send a MiG-29 aircraft after a Ryanair passenger flight en route from Athens, Greece to Vilnius, Lithuania. The airplane is intercepted over Belarus, forced to land. A journalist and dissident, Roman Protasevich, is taken into custody by Belarusian authorities while still on board the grounded plane. On this backstory, how to deal with Lukashenko. Andrei Sanikov is the former deputy foreign minister of Belarus. He was arrested by the Lukashenko regime after he ran for president and demonstrated against election results. And he was imprisoned for, Andrei, I believe, 16 months. Yeah, correct. Can you give me some idea of what Roman Protasevich is facing right now? Is he in grave danger? He is in really great danger. Uh, Yesterday I was asked the same question and I kind of said that uh, they will probably release the video of him under duress and he will say some things. But I personally was relieved to see him alive because, you know, uh, the KGB is uh, known for making people disappear for several days and several weeks. And uh, especially after we had the tragic death of our um, good uh, activist and uh, patriot uh, Vitold Ashurak in the Shklov penal colony three, four days ago. And the reason was reported the uh, heart disease, and uh, but, but his wife said he never had any problems with his heart. So after that, it was clear that it was clear before, but uh, that uh, they are capable of killing people and they are killing people. And when uh, Roman disappeared, uh, I, I personally worried that uh, uh, what uh, would will be happening to him. And uh, uh, we saw him alive uh, yesterday, but it doesn't mean uh, that he is safe and not in danger today. He looked under yesterday. duress. He looked like he may have been roughed up or beaten already. I mean, he certainly he he looked like that was a hostage video. 
Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it is kind of uh, strange that they're releasing such videos. It's not the first one. There were many others to show that people are uh, really under duress and uh, nobody pays attention to what they're saying. They could say that they are, I don't know, spies or terrorists or whatever. Nobody pays attention. Everybody is looking how they look and uh, what what uh, what is going on with them. So and yesterday was not the exception because uh, you know we we saw him on the screen, uh, but we saw the uh, also the signs of beatings on his forehead, for example. And uh, although he, well, he did behave quite, uh, uh, let's say, in control of himself. But uh, what he was saying was, and how he was saying, especially, you've been interrogated. As- You've been in prison by this regime. Yeah. And his girlfriend is now there in different places. He is in uh, uh, the uh, prison number one in in Minsk, which is interior ministry prison. Uh, I was there. I know what this is. The oldest prison in, in, in Belarus and some very famous people were there, including, I believe, uh, Pilsudski at some point. Uh, and uh, when he was uh, transferred from prison to prison. And uh, she is in the so-called center for the uh, uh, offenders uh, in uh, famous uh, uh, facility on Christina Street. What will they be doing to him right now? The KGB is carrying out the interrogation. The interrogation for what? The answers are obvious. Yes, he's a journalist. Yes, he wrote uh, opposition views on the regime and believing that the election was stolen in in August, what is the point of an interrogation? What do they get? They are trying to get him. uh, He is accused of terrorism. And he was on the wanted list uh, for terrorism, which is stupid, which is clear that it is fabricated. And uh, he is now accused. He actually, he was smart enough, even under duress, not to say that uh, he is confessing of anything. He said, I'm cooperating uh, with the interrogators on the issues of the mass uh, dis- disorders uh, which I was taking part in. Lukashenko's press in preparation. So he didn't admit anything serious. And everybody knows the, the, that he is a journalist. And I think journalistic community is very vocal at this moment to try uh, demanding his release and uh, warning against any any kind of uh, torture and abuse against him so what what they will do they will try to get some confessions from him because they failed big time several uh, on several occasions for example they arrested in moscow again you see with the help of uh, fsb uh, they arrested most unlikely people and, and accused them and charged them with uh, plotting against Lukashenko. Most unlikely, because it was a laughing stock, uh, not a laughing stock that they were arrested, but laughing stock of uh, the uh, scenario that uh, Lukashenko's uh, playwrights wrote for him. That was uh, re- really funny to to imagine that these people were plotting against Lukashenko and his family. Okay, I mean, the confession, you know, I'm a journalist. Yes, we wrote against the regime. Yes, we helped organize some demonstrations. Yes, when Lukashenko started to shut down all of the media in the country, 
you know, this young man went on on Telegram um, and other encrypted digital media services to get the word out, to publish videos of people being uh, beaten. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Where, where does that leave Lukashenko? Is that worth hijacking a plane for? Uh, for in his uh, kind of logic, yes. He wants to show that uh, he is still in control and he's a strong man and he's uh, reaching out far beyond Belarus. But actually, he's uh, really uh, making his situation even worse. And not only his situation, but uh, his people uh, who are still loyal to him or who are still uh, saying that they are loyal to him. Because in one with one uh, gesture, with one operation, very clumsy operation, he ruined the whole industry in Belarus. He ruined the, the airline in Belarus, the monopolist for air traffic in Belarus. So, uh, and among other things, among other things, among the, the fact that he proven himself to be a terrorist, to, to, state, uh, to uh, organize state-sponsored terrorism, air piracy, kidnapping, and all other things, endangering people in Europe. So, I think that in his logic, he thinks that he, this is a good scenario, but he, he keeps... Uh, going further and further down and he is now in the abyss that he will never climb out again never so now we have to proceed from this because some people still think that lukashenko could be reborn as phoenix no he's he's done he's finished he's controlling a small group of people yes presumably they're thugs they are really uh, people without any uh, moral without any uh any human feelings but uh, they're a very small group so this is really my question to you because now europe is trying to navigate this with its own problems in the european union um countries like you know Vic victor orban's hungary uh who kind of want to walk a line between the east and the west and and still stay close to russia and so they have they have their own difficulties but when you talk about using carrot and a stick are we way past the carrot stage because Lukashenko, um, in terms of red lines with European values, has tortured people. People have died in custody. Um, I mean, he has traumatized the entire country. So if you move away from any kind of carrot back, um, where does that leave you with Lukashenko? He is becoming more and more isolated. Some people say a little crazy. Um, if you, will these sanctions? Will the no-fly zone accomplish anything? Well, you mentioned Orban, and it's quite indicative that uh, yesterday they discussed the sanctions, the measures uh, connected with this uh, forced land air Ryanair flight. And I uh, didn't hear any objection from Hungary, although it, it used to be uh, the country that uh, opposed sanctions against any other country. And I didn't see, hear any objections uh, from any other uh, uh, big countries or small countries that were usually on the list of those who doubted the effectiveness of sanctions. Europe never used carrot and sticks. Uh, I would say that they used carrots that were eaten by Lukashenko uh, who used sticks against us. That, that's how it went, because there were never any meaningful sanctions. Those visa restrictions, travel restrictions were not sanctions. Today, 
I think that they are finally realized, and I was very happy to hear the words in the statement of uh, uh, senators and congressmen uh, of the United States that uh, Lukashenko is the danger to the international security. It is not only the the rogue dictator that is hurting us in Belarus, because before it was taken like, you know, but it's a humanitarian problem. You see, just a couple of political prisoners and a couple of people in papers close. Doesn't matter. We still have to think about our business with, with not only with Belarus, but with Russia through Belarus, even about our smuggling our goods to Russia after Russia embargo food products from Europe. But now uh, I hear the different language and I hope that it will be an understanding. How to proceed? I think that the pressure should be put uh, on, uh, first of all, release of political prisoners because it is morally absolutely justified to take any measures to save people's lives, especially when we have more than 10 uh, cases of reported deaths of protesters and now uh, death, death in prison. And we don't know how many deaths we, we, we are talking about during the protests and in prison. So it is absolutely justified from legal, moral points of view to put as much pressure as possible until all the people who are there behind bars for political reasons are released. Put as and much then, pressure then, as possible, but what, in what form? What do you want to see happen now? Economic sanctions, trade sanctions, stop SWIFT uh, system uh, uh, working on the territory of Belarus and uh, start uh, uh, pushing for, for stronger measures for, for the private companies like, you know, Yara, Norwegian company. They're playing very cynical game. They they making some statements that they, they do care about the human rights and the situation of workers in the largest production of potash in, in Belarus, Belarus Kali, and third in the world, I believe. And uh, But at the same time, they are not uh, doing anything to help the people. And they reconcluded the contract when the uh, head of uh, strike committee was arrested. And he was arrested for, for many days now. He is in prison and all others being fired. So private companies should join the efforts and then the, the economy is collapsing, you know, and uh, Lukashenko is now not, as I said, not in control of the economy. He cannot do anything. He couldn't do anything for the economy for 27 years almost because he relied mostly on the, you know, on the subsidies from Russia, both in terms of money and in terms of cheap oil and, uh, and, and gas uh, uh, on the territory, delivered right. to the territory of Belarus, which he that resold. But a lot of people, way, one of the a lot of people would major. say, in, in a, I, this is my last question to you, aren't we just helping Putin? We are pushing no. Lukashenko no. and Belarus Lukashenko into the helping. waiting arms of President Putin. Lukashenko is helping Putin. You know, uh, it's none other than Lukashenko made uh, Belarus absolutely dependable on Russia, which uh, really undermines our sovereignty, our independence. Believe me, uh, I don't want even to think in these terms because I want to think in terms of uh, normal relations between Russia and Belarus, even if Putin and Lukashenko are against it. I can tell that we can deal with Putin uh, no matter what kind of... Uh, uh, with, with Russia and with Putin after Lukashenko. And we, we will be more reliable because we, we simply cannot go anywhere. We cannot move to some uh, warm sea 
to uh, re-establish Belarus there, but uh, we are bound to, to live with Russia as our neighbor, with European Union as our neighbor, with Ukraine as our neighbor, and we have to take care of all these uh, neighborhood problems. So Lukashenko is creating problems for us, for Russia, and and for 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 Europe and for Ukraine. Uh, we can solve the problems. I mean, we we by by we I can tell you that uh, Belarusian people because. Enemy number one for Lukashenko is not Protasevich. It's not is none of the opposition. It's Belarusian people. That's the enemy number one. And he has to realize it and step down. Andrei Senikov, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Luke Harding uh, is a writer for The Guardian newspaper. He's an expert on Russia, and he's written several books, including Mafia State and Shadow State, his new book. Hi, Luke. Great great to be back with you. Your opening comment on this hijacking of a civilian airliner between two EU nations, between two NATO nations by Belarus, uh, you know, it's I, I couldn't come up with a a more crazy opening chapter for a fiction novel. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Belarus really is a, a chunk of the Soviet Union dropped into our digitized 21st century world where you can have plane hijackings, you can have Steiner-like confessions by, by people you've literally plucked out of the air um, and where you have a really a kind of old school um, dictator who is behaving not only with impunity, but but actually like a sort of sociopath um, who is determined to stamp down on independent media. I mean, what happened this week and has been less noticed is that the, the largest non-state media in Belarus, um, a website called called Toot By, um, has been shut down and its last three journalists who had not been arrested were arrested. Um, and so this is a kind of brutal regime. It's extremely thuggish. You, you'll note that the KGB in Belarus never bothered to change its name. It's still the KGB. Um, and it's a police state where more than 32,000 people have been arrested since last August's protests against Alexander Lukashenko, who, who, by the way, has been in power for almost 27 years, um, and who, who for sure rigged last summer's election. Um, and this is a big you know, problem. It's not just a domestic problem for for Belarusians who want a kind of more democratic plural state. It's a problem for the international community, for the U.S., uh, for the European Union, as to what they do about what is, in essence, a rogue regime. It's been a problem for a long time, and people have been calling on the EU. Come on, get it together. That the the longer you take to push back against Belarus and, and, uh, and Russia and what Putin's doing, uh, the worse it will get. Was this a wake-up call? I, I mean, yeah, for those who didn't get the, the memo, it was a wake-up call. And I think what's interesting is really the sort of foreign, foreign policy challenge that it throws up, because for, for, you know, for decades now, Lukashenko has been playing off the West against Russia, Russia against the West. Um, and he's been trying to kind of wring concessions from both. What, what, one, one, one day he tells that way, the other day he tells that way. And, and now, after this astonishing uh, and, and dark act, um, you know, the, the West is gone as, as a partner, as an interlocutor. So he's just left with Russia. But, you know, the, the, the problem is that, that uh, Vladimir Putin, it really, he, he doesn't like Lukashenko at all. I mean, I think he thinks he's a, he's a clumsy, crude 
um, dumb um, sort of, you know, minor leader, but the the the, the precedent of a sort of peaceful um, transfer of power to a more pro-Western, pro-American government in Belarus is just not something that he can accept, and and therefore Putin really through, through reasons of strategy that, than, than, than love is, is backing Lukashenko, which means he's going to be extremely hard to dislodge. Uh, it means that the Biden administration are actually going to think, need to think quite hard uh, about what they do, not least because Joe Biden, American president, is meeting Vladimir Putin, Russian president, in Geneva on June the 16th. Um, why Biden feels, you know, Putin needs a bilateral summit, I, 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 I don't know. It's interesting, right? Because they stopped holding summits a long time ago, and and then I see that you know the former American ambassador Mike McFall was was uh, you know on Twitter saying something to the effect: "There's no point in having a meeting unless there are deliverables." It doesn't seem like there are any deliverables, and Belarus just makes it more complicated. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree, and and the, the thing is that that it looks to me, I mean, it's it's still a little early uh, for for this administration, but it looks to me as if. The, the Biden people are going back to the kind of Obama doctrine um, of which you might kind of call naive pragmatism that is good to talk that that if you if you listen and engage with the other side maybe you can you can reach a kind of mutual solution and I, I think it's a misanalysis of the situation which is that essentially you know Putin is not interested in mutual solutions and win-wins he has a kind of a priori KGB view of the world where where Russia is pitted eternally against America and the West and is involved in uh, essentially what is a war, you know, uh, sometimes with military dimensions, sometimes more unofficial involving cyber or espionage and so on, um, that, that has no end. Uh, and actually what the, the, uh, the game Biden should be playing is containment. It's, it's George Kennan. It's, it's the long telegram. It's, it's the Cold War. Um, and I said, or you can call it neo-containment if you like, basically making it clear to Putin that, that there will be um, counterforce, there will be a hard reaction, um, painful economic sanctions, maybe kicking Russia out of the SWIFT system, you know, banning oligarchs, clamping down on their assets and their homes and, and, and so on, uh, and, unless he stops doing these kinds of things. And at the moment, I don't quite sense uh, appetite from the Biden administration for, for that kind of course. Yeah, I know. I mean, he has said that they will take action seen and unseen. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But the, in terms of Belarus, I mean, yes, Lukashenko is now back in the arms of Vladimir Putin, dangerous place to be, because they've always talked about swallowing Belarus back up again. And Lukashenko, at a certain point, becomes a, a very high-risk uh, political keychain for Putin, and you know he may he may want to get rid of Lukashenko, uh, and Belarus by itself playing out the way it is. There's a question in here, Luke. The way it's playing out, um, it endangers Russia. It threatens the what what Putin is trying to do to keep things calm and nice pretend democracy inside of Russia. I mean, at a certain certain point, Belarus just becomes more and more high risk to Putin, doesn't it? I, I'm, not, I'm not sure it's high risk. I think it's more of a problem if it becomes a, a growing bill, uh, because obviously these sanctions against Belarus, depending on what they are, whether they hit the petrochemicals industry, whether they hit kind of Belarusian oligarchs, and there are fewer of those than their kind of Russian counterparts. I mean, it's Russia that's going to have to pick up the tab. So that's a headache. But also Belarus, 
like Ukraine is central to to the, the sort of the kind of Kremlin imperial notion of Russia as a great power. It really sees Belarus as its territory to dispose of how it likes. And and for, for years that there has been when I was in Moscow a decade ago, there was talk of a kind of a union or a cl- closer political alliance between the two where, in essence, Russia would gobble Belarus up, would sort of eat it. Um, and it would give Putin an excuse to change the constitution, which would give him another term and another term. But he's- Yeah, but he, I mean, he's done that anyway. He's, he's effectively, you know, faux legitimized his rule for, for a thousand years, like a pharaoh. I mean, until 2034, by which time he'll be in his 80s and you and I will probably be on our Zimmer frames, you know, or <laughs> in our kind of, you know, retirement homes. So, um, but, but, but yeah, I, I mean, you know, but, but Belarus is a kind of playground for, 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 for Russia and Lukashenko is a kind of unloved, but, but necessary part of that, of that project. All right. How, how does this end? Do you want to make a prediction? Do you think that uh, Lukashenko has long to live? In, in terms of being the president or the ex-president there? And will will Russia slowly just swallow up Belarus anyway? I mean, I mean the thing is, you know, by, by nature, by temperament, I, I, philosophically, I'm an optimist. And the problem is with all of these scenarios, you you, you have a, a kind of Hollywood script running in your head that, that despite, you know, suffering and, and travail and turmoil, the good guys will win. They, they, they will... That they will take over, but but unfortunately, in, in the post-Soviet world, and indeed in much of the world, that that doesn't really happen. And you, you know, my my fear is that with Putin there, that means that Lukashenko will will stay, and he's pretty successfully repressed, arrested, intimidated um, much of the population. And and now, with what he did on Sunday, he's also it's had a chilling effect for for dissidents, critics of the re- regime living abroad. So so my my fear is that he will carry on. But also, I think I think he's personally hated. I think he cannot regain legitimacy in his own country. And and it's possible that that, that sooner or later that that Belarus will careen towards some kind of explosion. Luke Harding, great to talk to you. Thanks so much, Luke. Thank you. And that's another edition of Backstory on Belarus. For almost a year, Baltic countries have been warning Europe, get tough with Lukashenko or risk a challenge by Belarus and Russia to freedoms. If the hijacking of an airliner between two EU countries, between two NATO countries, isn't a wake-up call, I don't know what is. I'm Dana Lewis. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to Backstory, and I'll talk to you again soon.